William Shatner, Chris Pine, Sir Patrick Stewart. Names forever associated with the Star Trek universe. Add to that list Sonequa Martin-Green. She's the lead on Star Trek Discovery, the newest series in the canon which is currently filming its third season. And if you haven't watched her on Star Trek, there's a great chance you'll recognize her as Sasha from The Walking Dead. And she was just cast as LeBron James' wife in Space Jam 2. Not bad for an actress from Russellville, Alabama. Welcome to this week's episode of The Reckon Interview. I'm your host, John Hammontree, and today we're talking with Sonequa Martin-Green about being a breakout star from the University of Alabama, what it's like to be a black woman in the sci-fi and fantasy universe, dealing with her mother's cancer diagnoses early in her career, and of course, the Looney Tunes. So join us as we boldly go where no one has gone before on this week's episode of The Reckon Interview. Okay, Sonequa Martin-Green, thank you so much for taking the time for the Reckon interview. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it seems like you are having a very busy summer. You're filming season three of Star Trek Discovery and That's Space correct. Jam 2. That is correct. <laughs> it is a very busy summer indeed. <laughs> I always say busy is a blessing as long as you're busy with the right things. <laughs> That's right. Well, and your character on Star Trek, uh, it's it's a number of firsts. I mean, obviously, yes. you're the first uh, black female lead of a Star Trek series, but I think correct. you're also the first Southerner to lead a Star Trek series. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. I've I've never thought about that, but I guess so. If you count <laughs> St. Louis as the South, which I don't, but Scott Bakula would make the cut. But I think there you that, go. Um, you got I don't British, count St. Louis as the Canadians, South either. So yeah, so so you're it. Um, wow, look at that. And in some ways, you're also kind of the the actor that uh, CBS has built this entire CBS All Access streaming platform around. It seems like. I mean, there's obviously other great shows on the platform like. The Good Fight, right. which I like. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. And Twilight Zone. And they've got and a Twilight bunch Zone. of new content coming as well. But but Star Trek yeah. was kind of the emphasis. So how did you handle that pressure? Oh, my. I tell you, I, 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 I think I handled it fairly well. Okay. Uh, looking, looking back on it, I certainly had my moments when I first found out and when I first started to wrap my brain around the scope of this, when I first started to really contemplate the the legacy itself and what it means for me to be at the helm of it as a black woman, I sort of felt like I had jumped off this cliff. I felt like I had entered the rabbit hole. You know, I I felt that it felt very surreal. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt this overwhelming sense of duty. And I was certainly overwhelmed. Uh, because the universe is so huge and the and the um you know the, the legacy fan base itself. Is very, uh, exactly particular. the fan base is yeah. so loyal and yeah. and then the and then just the, it's 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 a tradition at this point it is a it is a generational uh, gift you know that is passed down it's it's passed down within families and mm-hmm. so many people have loved it for so long and so many people attribute it to their upbringing um, I have even heard of parents who uh, raise their children based on the principles of Star Trek and and then people hmm. who found who they were uh, in Star Trek. And, and so it just means a lot to a lot of people. 
And so yeah. it was and so it was a, it was such a big deal. And I, I just wanted to do it justice. I'll say I'll, I'll say it like this from my from my perspective. It's just been it's been awesome to see people, all the people that have been a part of it, even if they were a part of it at one point and aren't a part of it anymore. The people that are coming that have come in and out, the people that are there now. It's been really amazing to see it all come together. It really has. And, and I appreciate them for having the courage to put me at the helm of it. I appreciate all the diversity that we have on the show. Uh, and I and I certainly um, speaking from like coming from Alabama and then and then going to UA and then ending up on Walking Dead and and which which I like to call my postgraduate degree <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know all you know all those people that I learned from the people that put me on that show and the people I got to work with there you know it's just all so I look back on it and I see it's all so purposeful. So yeah, I and and then and then when you also talk about the platform itself and knowing that you know the good fight sort of launched the platform mm -hmm. and then we sort of came came up uh close uh close behind and knowing that they were going to be building this entire new world with this platform you know, you just hope for the best. <laughs> well, I, you know, you're you're doing season 3, so it seems like something clicked. Yeah, um, you're also yeah. the first uh, lead, um, top build character, to at least not start out the series as a captain. Um, can we right. expect Captain Michael Burnham in season three? Well, I tell you what, the journey to captain is still—it's still a thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's, it's it's ongoing. It's, yeah, it is. It's it's a it's a sort of prevailing theme of of the show. Right, is the discovery of one's identity. Mm -hmm. through the discovery of the world around you and and everyone else around you the beings around you and so i think that journey to captain really signifies that in an interesting way and every character is going through their own journey of self discovery and collective discovery but for michael burnham a lot of it is in that journey to uh being captain but within that journey is just the journey of, of, of finding the balance between these opposing ideals that live within me as Michael from, you know, being Vulcan versus being human um, right. and battling nature versus nurture and trying to find that balance because there's such a, such a strong inner conflict in this woman, which I obviously is the case for most people, <laughs> if not every person. I think there's an inner conflict with every human being, <laughs> most likely. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and certainly yes. in Star Trek, too. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think it. Uh, it's hard to talk about the show without veering too much into to spoiler territory. But it's right. not too much of a spoiler to say that you, you play um, Spock's stepsister. Oh yeah. Uh, no, that's. I mean, that's season two, right? That's so season two, right? And we can then you say also... whatever we want to say about season two. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, then it also takes place before the original series. Correct. But now, you know, something has happened where season three is going to take place well into the future. Far past absolutely, canon. absolutely. Uh, so is that is that freeing uh, compared to trying to um, stay within you know kind of the prequel environment where you, nobody ever really thinks Spock is in danger when we know Spock is going to appear on the next season? Or the next right, season. right, right. Exactly. This has been a very interesting uh, situation to be in. Star Trek Discovery being the, the the prequel that it started out to be ten years before the original series. 
I appreciate that we were placed in that time period. That was very much the decision of Brian Fuller and Alex Kurtzman, who co-created the show. I love it because we have such such uh, sort of strong connected tissue to the canon because of that. Uh, because they did, I, I was raised, Michael Burnham was raised in the household with Spock and Sarek and Amanda, and that family is an institution in the canon. Um, Spock is arguably the most popular, iconic character in the entire canon of Star Trek. Sure. So being placed in that family, being placed in that world meant a lot to me. It gave me so much to pull from and be defined by. And then having him come to the show, you know, was such a huge, uh, it was just a huge endeavor. And Ethan Peck, who plays Spock, is, 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 is very brilliant. Um, (laughs) that may be redundant to say very brilliant, but he is. (laughs) And, uh, you know, as are, you know, as are all the other actors on the show. So, you know, we had such a good time digging into canon in that way. And then what I loved about, to, to speak more specifically to your question, what I loved about going to the future is that we were able to break apart and establish ourselves, uh, in a brand new way because Mm -hmm. we had to be, we had to be something that people recognized because we were so connected to canon being 10 years before TOS, but we also had to be something people had never seen before. I remember seeing someone saying online, and I'll never forget it, that Star Trek has to make you look toward the future. If it doesn't make you look toward the future, then it's, then it's, it's, not, it's not adhering to the very spirit of, of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So that's what we had to do. And it was a very, very fine line. And it was very difficult for us to do that. And a lot of people, a lot of people saw a lot of differences between our show and the other iterations of Trek. But that's what we sort of had to do to keep pushing the needle forward and be relevant to people today and be something that people could look forward to today and see it today as the future. It had to be different, right? And so breaking apart from the timeline, it does give us a lot more freedom because we still have our foundation of canon. We still are who we are, but now we get to be almost 1,000 years in the future where canon has never gone before. So we get Mm -hmm. to just establish the world that we land in, which is, oh, it's so exciting. That is exciting. I want to transition, I guess, a little bit uh, from talking about Michael Burnham to talking mm. about Sonequa Martin-Green. Um, okay. You talked about the duality and the, the transition of your character. You know, she starts mm-hmm. out very logical and reserved and very intelligent, obviously. And then as the seasons mm-hmm. go on, becomes more open with her emotions. I understand mm-hmm. that in high school, you were salutatorian and that yes. you wanted to be a psychologist. So how does Michael Burnham compare to Sonequa Martin-Green in real life? Or, mm. Are you more logical and reserved? Are you more expressive? Are you... When did mm. acting click for you? That's a great question. Well, the way I approach my craft is uh, purely imagination driven. I I create the world that I live in, right? And I, and I have to attribute that uh, so much to all the mentors that I've had over the course of my training and career. But but uh, most recently, Diana Castle, who's this phenomenal um, revelatory teacher in 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 Los Angeles, and so. Mm-hmm. It's all about imagination. So I I don't pull from my own life for the characters that I that I live as. I I just live in the world of the story. 
So me, compared to Michael Burnham, of course, Michael Burnham is out of my own heart and out of my imagination, but I... I don't have much in common with the character on the page. Okay. I I would like to believe that I am as tenacious as Michael sure. Burnham is. I'd like to believe that I am as sort of duty oriented as Michael Burnham is. I am not a genius <laughs> like Michael Burnham. Let me just be clear well, about that. Clearly very smart. Okay. Like I did not study quantum mechanics and sure. I am not a xenoanthropologist and I am not a genius, right? Um, I I was salutatorian, yes, but uh, but you know, I'm not, mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, <laughs> so no, not no uh, space exploration up in North Alabama for you. Okay. But I, you know, I just, I I really appreciate it because when I, before I knew that I was supposed to be an actor, when I thought that I was going to be a psychologist, psychology, the study of the human mind and human behavior, it was something I was always fascinated with. And that's very much the craft of acting. Um, It's very much about digging into the soul of a human being. You know, these characters on the page are, you know, they're, they're, they're human beings, right? And they come out of, they come out of someone's heart. And so that makes them real. And and so that's why I always even use first person um, mm-hmm. tense when I talk about my, my work. I, you know, I say I, 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 I as Michael Burnham, I, 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 because that's that's me taking ownership of the story and acknowledging that in this story, I am Michael Burnham. Right. So right. I. I love being able to be someone who is so upright and who is so strict and mm-hmm. who is so uh, resolved. And I also love this journey from logic to emotion as well. It's very invigorating as an actor to play yeah. that because I am extremely emotional. I am extremely expressive. I'm very dramatic, you know, <laughs> and I joke about it with everybody that I love, uh, especially with my husband, especially with my, you know, with my, my, my sister, my closest friends, because I just can't help it. <laughs> right, right. My husband and I play a game where he's like, okay, just be chill for the next five minutes. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I can't do it. You know, <laughs> I can't do it. Well, you're I in the right like profession. I I'm just going to burst out of my skin. I'm so dramatic. So yeah. it's so nice to be someone who's so different from my everyday self. You know, maybe in some ways it's a side effect of, I guess, uh, genre fiction and sci-fi and fantasy. But before the show, you were on Once Upon a Time on ABC, mm-hmm. and then uh, you were on The Walking Dead. And so your characters exist in these worlds um, that have you know, been ravaged, ravaged by zombies or set in the future yeah. or are um, in some ways fantasy. And so, you know, skin color doesn't really seem to matter very much. I mean, even on The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. you've got, uh, which is filmed and set in the South, there's mm-hmm. there are human villains, but when it's us versus them, it really kind of boils down to Alive versus zombie, right? Right. I'm curious how that compares or contrasts uh, to what you experienced growing up in Alabama and going to the University of Alabama. Mm. Well, you know, I think everybody knows now at this point that racism is rampant in the South, uh, especially. Uh, And of course, we're in a very uh, dark sociopolitical time right now. and and so a lot of things are coming to the light and coming to the surface and it's and it's very disconcerting but i 
what I love about the sci-fi genre is that the prevailing themes and truths that are presented in sci-fi stories, because the circumstances are so fantastic mm -hmm. that I think it allows people to suspend their disbelief uh, much more readily, which then allows them to receive what the underlying message is much more easily. And, and so that's why you find so much diversity in these stories. A lot of them are set in the future. A lot of them are set in these really uh, dark times, these, these, these times where things have been wiped out and, it's, and, and whatever the circumstance is for the story, it's become a, a great equalizer, right? And people mm -hmm. are now concerned more about what's really important. Uh, so that's why I really, I, I've always loved sci-fi, but I now have such a respect for the genre yeah. because of that, because you are able to, uh, things are able to be boiled down to, to um, what's really important. Now, that also reveals uh, people's baser instincts too. So I think that's what makes sci the sci-fi genre and the stories in it so challenging as well, because we see, we see the best of ourselves and the worst of ourselves in these stories. And we often yeah. see the, the extremes, right? We see the extreme best versus the extreme worst, right? And mm -hmm. I just think that that's very, I think that's very good for us to be exposed to stories like that because then it just makes us have to take a good hard look at ourselves. So I appreciate being a part of this genre. I did not anticipate being a part of this genre as much as I have been, but I'm really grateful because I think the Lord uh, put me here for a very particular reason and being from the South where things were so black and white, mm -hmm. um, where things were so uh, small, uh, there was so much small-mindedness from where I come from. I really appreciate it because it's expanded me as a human being. It's expanded me as a woman of faith. It's expanded me as an actor um, because I can't help but be changed by these sure. stories. And I have had my eyes opened. And I have been able to attack my own closed-mindedness from being from the South. And I've been able to appreciate other cultures um, in a way that I probably wouldn't have if I hadn't been exposed to these stories, you know. Have you run into any um, uh, stereotypes or expectations, you know, uh, you go up to New York with your thicker Southern accent um, <laughs> than you may yeah. have now uh, <laughs> or dealing yeah. with some oh, of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One, one thousand percent. I mean, you know, when you're OK, well, first of all, when you're black in the South, you know, it's every day. Right. Of course. You yeah. know, you're faced with this feeling of inferiority every single day. And it's not that every single day you're getting in a fist fight. It's not every single day you're getting turned. You're not getting turned away from establishments every single day, though. Those those things are happening still. Mm -hmm. But it's a sort of sense that is just uh, kind of in the air and it's hard to explain it, right? Um, but I, when I left the South, you know, it took me leaving. It's kind of like, you don't know what you got till it's gone. It took me leaving to really, I had to, I had a lot of healing to do. Sure. Um, and, and now I can just look at where I'm from with such appreciation and such gratitude 
because there is so much beauty and love and richness in the South as well. You know, it's it's both and. There's a lot of everything in the South. Mm -hmm. It's very rich. It's like fertile ground, right? There's so many things there. So um, coming to New York, I was blown away because suddenly it wasn't in the air. It wasn't viscous like it like it used to be. I noticed that there were people of all colors from all walks of life, shoulder to shoulder, really close to each other because New York City slams you against all these people right, that are so right. different from you, right? And so I pulled a lot from New York City and was able to see just how much bigger the world actually is and just how different we all are and what it really means to appreciate people that are different from you. And I also was able to find value in myself. And, and, and I don't mean that I got value in myself from, from other people. I just was able to sort of see myself for the culture that I came from and the wonderful people that I came from and, and just see how special it really was because everybody around me was special. Everybody around me was so different. And, you know, I had to, I had to learn a lot. I had to learn a lot about who people are and 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 where they come from because I didn't know there were so many things I didn't know uh, mm -hmm. growing up in the South and I realized I had a responsibility to expand myself and my horizons and my mindset just about people in general and 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 um, different parts of the world. I thought, ooh, I need to. It's this is up to me now. Well, and you've gotten this. the opportunity. I mean, I think um, season three of Star Trek is has been film filming in Iceland, is that right? And so you've lived in New York, Toronto, yeah, Atlanta, uh, Los Angeles. Right. And I've gotten to travel I've gotten to travel the world and I'm I'm so grateful to God uh for that. Because it's no small thing to travel. Mm -hmm. And and I understand that it's a gift. I understand that it can be a luxury to be able to travel. And I've traveled with work but I've been able to see so many different parts of the world through these projects that I've found myself in, right? I, I've, I've been to Australia and Germany and uh, we went to Israel and, and uh, you know, South America and Iceland and England and, 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 and all, these, all these places. And, you know, I've had so many moments over the course of my career where I've come against something that I just didn't know you know, that I, that I felt that I probably should have known. Mm -hmm. And then I have to sort of say to Can myself, Can you give me an like, example? Like not understanding, like going to a new place and, and, and something as simple as not knowing what the currency is mm -hmm. in that place. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I've, sure, I've, I've yeah. made these little mistakes here and there and I've thought, oh my goodness, I, I need to know more. I need to learn more. I, I need to have more within me even as it relates to my craft as an actor, because if I'm pulling from my imagination, it's up to me to expand my imagination so that I have more to pull from. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm telling these stories with all these, about all these different people, especially with Star Trek, if I'm telling a story about this person who lives in the future, who is a xenoanthropologist, who is very much, um, in tune with other cultures and who is used to being around people from different parts of not just the world, but the universe, mm -hmm. um, then I owe it to myself and to this story and to this world of Star Trek to expand myself. 
you know, as well. So I'm, I just, am, I, I just think to myself like Jesus, you know, like <laughs> I need you to help me do this because you know, it's, it's, it's important not to get down on yourself about it, which I have made the mistake of doing. I've been like, ah, why don't I know these things? I should know these things. I should be Googling these things every day, you know, there's so much uh, to know, but you can't, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't ever come from a place of being hard on yourself. You're not going to get anything done. <laughs> well, speaking of coming from a place of being hard on yourself. I understand that early in your career, your mom was diagnosed with cancer for, I think, the first of three diagnoses. Is that? Yes. Right. Was there a moment when when you learned that news that you thought about, you know, quitting and going home? I mean, was there sort of, uh, what was that emotional roller coaster for you? Well, it's really... um... It's quite powerful the the way you formed the question when you said speaking of being hard on yourself because this is something that I've talked about quite a bit over the last few years that it's one of the things I regret the most in my life is that I was so busy at the time that she was diagnosed the second time and I the first time I was very very young the first time I was 12 Oh okay okay Um, And so she, as well as my older sister, shielded me a lot from the reality of the situation. And I just knew that that mama was going to be okay. And and of course she was, but I never really had fear at that time. I just knew like, oh, you know, but that had a that had a lot to do with how I was shielded from what Mm -hmm. was really happening, you know. So then once it uh, once she was diagnosed again for the second time, that was when I was sort of in the thick of it. And I did what I I did what I could at the time from afar. But her and I were also struggling just in our relationship as mother and daughter at the time, too. There were so many things happening. There was a lot of healing that still needed to happen. There was a lot of unforgiveness. Um that was still present in our relationship. And I was also, I was that sort of stereotypical starving artist at the time. I didn't have any money <laughs> at all. I was I was struggling yeah. um, in the city. And, uh, you know, literally, this is actually a story I haven't really told much, but I'm, I'm excited to tell it, but I, I didn't have, I didn't have anything. And so, you know, there was just a lot uh, going on. My um, my husband was my fiance at the time, and we were sort of struggling together and wondering how we were going to eat. So it was there was just a lot going on. And then once it was all said and done and she was healed and, you know, God sort of took care of that. We were able to look back on it with 2020 vision And so then by the time she was diagnosed again, the third time, it became a matter of overcompensating. Right. And I was sort of helicoptering, you know. (laughs) And you were in Atlanta Uh, at that point for the Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, and and so it was just, it was a very interesting journey. And interesting is is a very uh, mild word uh, to use. But I have said before that it is such a deep regret of mine and and I'm so very grateful for my sister for being because she was still uh, in Alabama at the time. Okay. And so what I would say uh, to people is you really have to find a way when you're dealing with someone who is battling cancer, when you're dealing with a cancer warrior, <laughs> 
you know, there are so many things that need to be shifted in your own life in order to be an appropriate support system for them. And I've learned a lot about that. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's, it's a very, it's, it's very tough. It's even hard to talk about now without, um, without crying because it's, it was just a very tough thing. And I'm, you know, she's such a, she's such an inspiration and she showed me what war really looks like and how you should fight. And of course we're all floored by how she was healed three mm-hmm. different times because and that's three a different very types rare... of cancer, right? Exactly. That's a very rare story. And I understand that. And she's still strong and stout and fabulous. And so, and it's certainly something that we've, we've talked about a lot and we, um, are dealing with still and you know we're on our own journey to restoration because there's a there's a lot there <laughs> there's still a lot there that we're you know we're mining it and there's there's still more to mine but is you know, she I living in both. Alabama still yeah yeah she okay. does she, and, and so does my dad as well okay. and do you come back to to see them or do they come out to see you or is it they well we actually do I rare I rarely go back actually mm-hmm. but we have now started this tradition my husband and I where we fly in our parents um, um, and siblings uh, as well and even sometimes aunts and uncles we fly them out for a big sort of trip in in um, wherever we are on location so mm-hmm. my last season on Walking Dead we flew everybody uh, to Atlanta and we had a, a weekend together, and then we did it again in Toronto, um, both during season one and during season two. So now it's become this tradition where we fly everybody out to where um, to where we're shooting, to where I'm shooting, and just have like a like a three day thing. The last time we did it, we we booked a photo shoot for all of us, and you know, so it's great. So That's you fun. know, we're yeah, 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 we're on the uh- we're on the path. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Sonequa Martin-Green talks about what keeps her tied to Alabama, the emotional ups and downs of her acting career, and, are you ready for it, Space Jam 2. Who are Alabama fans? I think the Alabama fan base is easily the most passionate and concerned fan base in the country. They also are highly sensitive to what other people do and say. What does Alabama football really mean to them? At the end of the day, I I would much rather go to the national championship and lose than go to any other bowl game. The podcast Bammers takes you inside the minds of Alabama football fans, their obsession with the Crimson Tide, and how far they take it year in and year out. Just because I dig a ditch from 8 to 5 and you graduated from the University of Alabama, that don't make you no better, no worse than me. Just search Bammers on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Bammers, inside the minds of Alabama football fans. You mentioned that you, you don't often come back, but uh, you know you are a graduate of the University of Alabama, uh, Roll Tide. Mm, yes. And um, unfortunately, you were there during the Shula years and missed the, the good era of football. <laughs> I sure but, did. I mean, literally, he was coming as I as I was leaving. It yeah. Was so funny. So, do you keep up with um, Alabama football at all, or do, do you, you does know, anything keep you uh, connected to the university? I don't know if I, you know this, but uh, you're you are the Julio Jones of the theater community at Alabama. Like you're the legend. You're the one that all of the 
my sister-in-law is an actor who who was at UA, and you're the one that everybody kind of aspires to there. So do you? What? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're are you you're, you're it. Me? You made it. You are the one that made it. You're the uh, you're the star. You're the no um, way. You're the alumni. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my goodness! I had no idea. That's crazy. Um. Wow. Okay. Um. Okay. I'm gonna to take. I'm gonna just <laughs> walk away with that and think about that uh, for a while. Um. But I. I. I forgot your question. What did you? Uh, want? Do, do you keep up with football? I mean, does is there? Okay. Do you do you, do you feel any sort of uh, ongoing connection to to UA? Yeah. I guess is kind of the question. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's we. I always just want to point up, right? I want to be like, "Oh man, it's not me. He did it. He did it all." You know. Yeah. Um. But I um, I do. I will always have a connection uh to UA. It's. I mean, it's where I come from. It's. It's where the seeds were sown. You know, mm-hmm. and I brag about it all the time. People always sort of, I love the response that I get when I tell them I'm from Alabama and that, and that I went to UA. And then, you know, I love teaching people. Um, I love teaching people about Roll Tide and it's awesome. Um, one, of the, one of the few times that I've come back over the last few years, it was for um, Sonequa Martin-Green Day, which the city of Russellville uh, enacted. And I, I've said it publicly a couple of times. I, I talked about it on uh, Colbert and I just... I what I am hoping is that I can make it back for for that day sometime in the near future, because I'm <laughs> I was joking with Colbert about it because uh, he because I didn't want to talk about it and he was like well why don't you want to talk about it and I was like oh just because like I uh, I don't know I can't talk about it it's just too much it was too much for me to deal with but but I found the words after the fact that I I, I couldn't talk about it because I was I just didn't feel like I was deserving of it and I just couldn't believe that it had that that kind of gesture had been made. So I'm really, um, I'm really, I, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a puddle. My, my heart kind of like becomes a puddle when I think about my family in Russellville. And then when I think about all of my fellow Russellvillians and uh, my uncle and my, the rest of my, the rest of my aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff who had anything to do with, with that yeah. and the ceremony they put on and everything. So I still have a connection, not just to UA, but, um, but to my hometown as well and to, you know, the people I come from. So hopefully when I come back, I can hit up Russellville and Tuscaloosa. I, I truly feel that it's something that I can brag about being from UA. Yeah. And I love it when people ask me where I'm from. I love it when they ask me if I went to school uh, and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I, well, I went to the University of Alabama and I got my theater degree and it was the most it was just an excellent education. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to all of my professors and to the theater department itself and then to the forensics department as well and to all of my, you know, my class, my classmen and classwomen because it just shaped, it just, it just began the molding process. It's, it's where it all began um, because I didn't, I didn't act as a child. You know, I, I didn't know I was supposed to be an actor until I was 16. So I did a what few What was your first role? I, my first role was the lead character in Denity Crisis, which is a play by Christopher Durang. Okay. And 
of course, that's that is the absolute genesis was 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 in high school, my eleventh uh, grade year. But you know, things were really things really started to take shape in in in, in college at the university. And so, as far as football is concerned, I um. I don't, unfortunately, I don't <laughs> keep up with the football, but what's weird or funny, however you want to look at it, is that I still claim it. Yeah, of course. So yeah. even though I don't, I'm not like watching the games or like checking in or whatever, if somebody will, if somebody comes to me and they say like, oh yeah, what about that win yesterday? Oh, then I go, I go ham and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Roll tide. <laughs> like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, blah, 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 you know? And mm-hmm. so, and I have a, I have a really good friend, one of my best friends actually, um, who also, uh, went to UA, who was all, who's also an actor, who was also in the theater department with me there. She does keep up with it. So she kind of keeps me abreast of like yeah. the football statistics and whatnot and like what's going on. When we were uh, growing up, we're a couple of years apart, but maybe I missed it. But, you know, there weren't a whole lot of black leads in genre television. I mean, Star Trek, you had LeVar Burton and, and Whoopi right. Goldberg. Um, but, you know, right. shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer didn't really add prominent black roles until later seasons. And then, you know, I mean, there's The Wiz and then there's Cinderella. But who who did you look to, you know, white, black, Latina, whoever, mm-hmm. when you were kind of creating some of these roles and, you know, as you're inspiration in your bench posts hmm well you know I have a a different kind of answer to that question be, be I think because I didn't uh I didn't know that I was an actor right so when I was a kid that's all I was doing was acting really but I didn't know that that's what I was doing so mm-hmm. I was always pretending I was always making up stories I was always in the mirror doing characters. I, I was writing, I was reading, uh, I was memorizing, I was, I was always performing, but I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I didn't, I I didn't have the presence of mind at the time to think, oh, let me pull from this person or that person or, or or whatever, you know, it uh, didn't quite happen for me that way. But as a child, I was moved, particularly moved by Angela Bassett. And again, I didn't know that that's what I was feeling, right. that I was feeling inspired by her. Is there a certain I just role? knew, well, well, yeah, for sure, Tina Turner and What's Love got to do with it. Um, I just was so moved by it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know until later that I was inspired by it. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, you're you're very you're you're very right. I mean, we had a lot of um, we had a lot of there were a lot of people to look to look to at the at the time. You know, I appreciate what we did see when I was coming up. Right, being born in the mid '80s and coming up in the late '80s and, and '90s. You know, we had a lot. We that was a sort of like prime prime time for us. Right, we had TGIF. We had Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Family Matters, and we well, <laughs> we had Cosby Show. That's, you know, that's, that's at true. the yeah. time it was wonderful. <laughs> at the time, but we had all these we had all these amazing um, uh, people to look to in the music world. You know, we had a lot. We had a lot of good, good influential black people to look to 
in that time period. But as far as the sci-fi genre goes, you're right. There wasn't much representation there. Well, and now, um, you know, you go to a yeah. Comic-Con in San Diego or, or Atlanta or, or wherever, and, you know, you've got Black Panther, but also you. I mean, you, you, you are a walking Comic-Con. Uh, you know, you're a cosplayer's dream. You've got three genre shows. So have you run into uh, any Sashas out there? Have you run into any uh, yeah. Michael Burnhams? What's that been like? You know what? I have, and you don't, I don't know. My My experience is that you don't ever get used to it. Yeah. Right. I and, you know, yeah, like uh, I've I've done so many uh, conventions over the years and that's also a luxury because not everyone gets to do this. Not everybody gets to, to gets to be in the entertainment industry. Not everybody gets to uh, be an actor who can have a direct encounter with the people who watch you. Not everybody gets to do that on this level. And that's also something that the sci-fi genre affords mm-hmm. is you get to meet people face to face and have an actual connection with them and touch souls for a second. And so at these conventions, obviously San Diego Comic-Con being the biggest, you know, you, you, you somebody walks up and they're dressed up like your character. Then you hear their stories of how they've been changed by what you're doing and you almost feel like you enter into the twilight zone you know you feel that you start to kind of like your brain kind of starts to spin Mm -hmm. and you feel like you kind of start to float um like suddenly you're made of helium or something and and then your your brain just starts like spinning because you just can't wrap your mind around this and so I find that in those moments, the only way I can ground myself is just with gratitude and also with the communication that this person has affected me just as much and that this is like a, this is a circle, right? Because you, you let me know that you come up, you, you walk up to me and you're cosplaying as Sasha or you're cosplaying as Michael Burnham, or you walk up to me and you tell me how you've been changed. I I always want to communicate that, well, now you've changed me. And then it just keeps going. And that's the power of story. Uh, So I always, I love these opportunities because they remind you of that. Because you can get caught up in the minutia of things. You can get caught up in 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 the challenges of this kind of life. This life is very challenging in a lot of ways. Um, It's very difficult in a lot of ways. It's very strenuous in a lot of ways. And that's not something that a lot of people talk about, right? Or or, or people think that it's just glamorous and that's it, right? And they don't know. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, Well, it's, you know, for me, me, uh, my husband and I and now our four-and-a-half-year-old son, um, we've moved twice a year for the last seven years uh, because you work on location, right? The way the industry works now, very few things shoot in Los Angeles. A lot of things shoot elsewhere. So you are constantly picking up and moving your family, you know, sort of back and forth. And now somebody might say, oh, well, isn't that exciting? And it's like, well, actually, yes, it's exciting because we, my husband's an actor as well. 
and is on Walking Dead actually still. He out he outlived me and and is going to be on Star Trek, right? <laughs> exactly. He... Okay, he's, yeah. he's Michael Burnham Senior on Oh on, really? On Star okay. Trek Discovery. Yeah, that's neat. Um, okay. but you know that it is exciting and we like that. We 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 are very sort of spontaneous people. But then you think about what that does to a child. And we have to create a sense of normalcy for our son. And then it becomes, then it becomes different. Then it becomes challenging. And having to spend so much time away from my son, you know, that's, that's another one. Career moms, it's, it's a very, very painful thing to do. And then just the, the challenge of the job, you know, and having to work 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 hour days you know, and what that, what that does to you, what that does to your body, even down to the practice of the craft, right? Telling a story, you'll, you'll hear some actors talk about when they have to tell stories that are, that have life and death stakes, which most of them do, especially in the sci-fi genre. You know, let's say for instance, you're dealing in the, in the, in, in a world of the zombie apocalypse and you're constantly, your life is constantly in danger. And there's constantly these things that are after you. And then there's also these humans that are after you. And so you're in this, you're in this state of stress to tell the story, right? And so, well, your body doesn't know the difference. So even speaking physically, I've often um, lost sleep because of the tension on the body because of what the, um, because of what you're going through emotionally. And so you startle awake several times a night because your body thinks you're in a high stress situation. Yeah. Um, no, that makes sense. And so you wake up like, <gasps> you know, and, uh, and it's just your body kind of trying to make sense of what's happening. And you're like, Oh, Oh, just go back to sleep. It's all, it's not real, you know? But when you suspend your disbelief as an actor, you believe it. Yeah. And at least that's what I do, you know, when I, when I accept this story that I'm in, I believe it, you know? And so then I'm going to have a physical reaction to that. And 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 then scary stories to be in too. So, uh, right, right. Exactly. And of course it's so fulfilling, it's so fulfilling and these stories have to be told. So I consider it an honor. But, you know, I also had to deal with that being pregnant. Right. Which I've talked about a few times and mm-hmm. dealing in this life of death while carrying life. That was a very challenging thing uh, to do. So I so I say all of that to say, you know, you yes, there's a lot of things that are very difficult about this, but but you have to just remind yourself and I always do. And it's very easy to remember why you're doing it and how important it is. And then you get the gift, you get the the icing on the cake and you get the you get the gifts and the reward of having these exchanges at these at these conventions. And then also on the street, too, you know, when yeah. people see you out. But so it's just like, man, it all just comes together. Well, and I'm guessing that your your son doesn't watch mommy and daddy on uh, The Walking Dead. But right, you right. you are filming a uh, movie with the Looney Tunes now and yes! Space Jam too, so yes. that has to be exciting. But what can you tell us about about the new Space Jam? Well, I pr- I play uh, I can tell you I play LeBron James's wife. Yeah, how does uh, Kendrick feel I, about that? Oh, nice. Well, he <laughs> is a huge basketball lover, yeah. right? He he played yeah. basketball all through grade school and thought he might, you know, go to the NBA at one point and um, realized that he is also called to be an actor. 
Uh, so, but he loves it. And I love basketball as well. And I love LeBron James. I've always had such respect for him. And, uh, and so as my husband, so, you know, we're very, we are, we are elated, uh, about this and he's amazing, you know, so down to earth, so funny, um, and kind and, um, and great and great, um, at um at this yeah and, so and train wreck he was hilarious so. exactly yeah. which is so impressive so i you know it's been amazing i i really i can't say much i wish i could but you know Can you it's, tell us is it is it traditional 2d animated looney tunes or are they gonna be 3d oh or man do you know? i can't even tell you that oh, i can tell no. you that okay. it is going to be like exactly what you want to see today like it's I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm quite blown away by it. So can you um, walk up to Staples Center now and say, I'm LeBron James's wife and get uh, you know, <laughs> seats? And, <laughs> you, know. you you should hear all the jokes that I've heard and told uh, yeah. about, you know, like Lakers tickets and, and stuff yeah. like that. And like, now I got to be a Lakers fan for life, right? Have you um, met um, Savannah? Have you met um Oh yeah, I have. Yeah. I have. Yeah. She's beautiful inside and out. Yeah, it's it's just it's really really good and again, like I never would have imagined. I loved Space Jam when I was coming up. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. And and so I just I you know, I can't believe like all of a sudden I find myself here, like in it. And and as far as my son goes, you know, he is the most jovial, um bright lovely boy like in the world he's so he's he's also expressive and dramatic and full of light and joy and and he's um and he's so secure as well so we get to we get to bring him on set um he doesn't watch yet but we get to bring him on set and he loves it and he enjoys himself and everybody loves him so I'm so excited about Space Jam um because this is something that I'll be able to share with him right now, you know what I mean? We won't have to wait, uh, you know, a while to sort of introduce him to it. He doesn't really know what it is yet, but you know, by the time it comes out, he will. That's right. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Well, thank you so much for uh, all of your time today. And- um, Thank you. Well, that's all folks. For reasons that are still unclear to me, I was once blocked on Twitter by William Shatner, so I want to give a big thank you to Sonequa Martin-Green for her time, and thank you to y'all for listening. Stay tuned for a clip from next week's interview with John T. Edge of the Southern Foodways Alliance. This episode was produced and hosted by me, John Hammontree, with additional on-site recording in Los Angeles by Michael Casaneda. The show's theme song, Dereconstructed, is produced by Sub Pop Records, and it was written and performed by Lee Baines III and the Glory Fires. Hey, if you like our show, please subscribe and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out. And also, share the show with your friends. And if you like Reckon, you may want to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you might want to go to al.com slash Reckon to sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on all the news from Alabama and around the South. And thanks, as always, for Reckoning with us. sauce is a North Alabama thing. It's not. It's only Isn't recently it? that that white sauce has spread outside of Decatur and adjacent cities. It's only recently that that's become a, an Alabama thing. I would say that the Alabama thing for a sandwich is you know chopped pork on a bun 
um, with a sweeter than North Carolina sauce dripping off of it. Like I think of like the sandwich at the Golden Root in, in Hoover. Mm-hmm. Like that sandwich to me tastes like an idealized Alabama example of what barbecue is. And I don't think about white sauce that way. White sauce is a very specific thing that only spread recently. 